Right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. So, um, if you were here last week, so we started a new series called "Grace Is Greater," and uh, last week we talked about grace is greater than our sin, greater than our mistakes. So, if you have a chance and you were not here last last week, so you can go back and, and watch. But this is the second week of the series, and we're talking about something a little different because. Here's the thing about grace, as you know, we cannot miss that out in church. If you're coming here and you're maybe, uh, you've made a decision to follow Christ at one point, the core value of our beliefs is grace. And if we take that out of the church, it would not work. So for that reason, it would be very important for us to go back and, and, and study a little bit about something that we all know in our heads but often we miss out in our hearts. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, as we talked about last week, so you can talk about maybe grace is greater than your past, greater than your sin, whatever you've done in the past, whatever it's happening in your life, grace is ours greater. But now we're going to jump into something that is a little bit messier because there's something about grace that is a two-way street, Right? So you receive grace, and we can talk about receiving grace, and we get all excited. When I came here and talked about grace for those who sin, I, I have a passion about that because that is something that a value that is very easy to talk about it because it's about what Christ has done for us and receiving that grace. But now it's a little bit messier, and I have to be honest, it was not as fun to go over with this, and now it's about the other part of grace is to give grace. That is something a little bit harder for us because the idea of receiving is so easy, but giving grace to others, it's a challenge. You know, especially maybe you have your own story about something that hurts you deeply or have hurt you many times, and you come to church and you have that concept in your head that you should be giving grace, but it's so hard to live by giving grace. But you know, there is this, um, every year in my house, we, we do this thing. Um, my wife and I, we have our closets together. So, and in our closet, our clothes in there, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, there is a trust that holds all the hangers, and then it started to bend. And, and then, you know, I kind of live in denial because I feel like, oh, I can still fit on that clothes. But, you know, I'm 45, and some things come with age. Um, and then my clothes, some of my clothes are not fitting anymore. So every year I notice that I have to go over my closet and empty some of my clothes. But I ignore that because I feel like it's very messy. I don't want to go in there. And uh, when I was probably in my mid-20s, I decided that I was going to collect soccer jerseys. And I had about 100 of those and then this year, I was like, what I'm doing? I'm 45 and doing this stuff, right? So I decided that I was going to go over and then just empty it out. And, and then I started to do that. And something's going to go to Goodwill for some people that are sm slimmer than I am. And those jerseys got to go. So, and then I decided to take them down. And then all of a sudden, I feel like this freedom, like it, it was freeing to see that my closet now can fit more clothes that I can put it in, right, <laughs> the next year. So there's this lady, I don't know if you know, it's a show, uh, there's this lady called Mary Kondo, 
And she has a show, I think it's on Netflix or somewhere, called The Japanese Art of Declaring. I have a hard time with this word. Declaring and organizing. So it's getting rid of clutter in your, in your, in your house. So it's a show, you know, I lasted probably 30 minutes in, and there's tons of those, and she had a bunch of books. And the idea is that you go in your closet and you started to look at things, and then you start to get rid of, and then she makes it very, like, um, uh, emotional about it. And then you have to ask, you get each piece of your clothes, and you looked at it, and you have to ask, does this spark joy? And then they kind of do almost like a prayer over, and then you get rid of, or some you keep. So does it spark joy? Then you keep it. If it doesn't spark joy, it got to go, right? So that's kind of a, the idea. But the reason I'm sharing this is because for many of us, you know, we have this same thing in our closet, in our hearts. You know, maybe it's something that happened in the past, and somewhere, and then maybe you have this resentment against someone, and it's been keeping in this closet, and you feel like in denial the same way I was, that you don't want to even touch it because it's messy. You don't want to go there. And it's something that in your head, it feels like you rob your peace. You have a really hard time to connect with people. It takes uh, your sleep. Sometimes that you just have a lot of emotionals, uh, emotional uh, issues because of that. Because there's something in that closet of your heart that is robbing all that peace, robbing all that joy that you should be having. And then maybe you should ask, does it spark joy? If it does not, i got to get out. So our hearts are really hard to get rid of when we have something that someone does against us and it started to pile up and it's, it's affected our lives tremendously. You know, I can count times even when I was little and my sister said something to me. And I remember being like a whole year without talking to her because I had this resentment in my heart about something she said instead of going and fixing the problem and, and going and talking to her. I don't want to make that easy task. So you have to bear with me. But in Ephesians 4, verse 31 uh, says this. Get rid of, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And here's what he says instead, verse 32. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So, I wish it was a very, it's a very simplistic verse, and I wish it was that easy uh, to follow. But it's really hard, and it starts off and get rid of everything. Everything. Everything that's hidden in your heart, in the closet of your heart. But instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And notice that never says, just do that. He always ends this way. A lot of verses in the Bible when it talks about forgiveness or giving grace just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. He's not telling you something that he hasn't done, if you think about it. But it's not that easy. You know, giving grace, there's no magic, uh, you know, into it. Because we all know that what we've been through, it's, it's real. So, 
what I challenge, what I would like to challenge today, it's not to make it simplistic, but and, and I'm not trying to make it like your hurt is no big deal. That's not, that's not what I'm intending to do. But it is, if you talk about grace, and you're receiving all this amount of grace that Christ has forgiven all your sins, we should forgive others. We should give grace to others. But I know it's not that easy. <clears throat> but what I would like to challenge you is, in this long journey, I want you to accept the journey of forgiveness, the journey of grace. And maybe you're here, like I said, it's just something really deep that's been happened to you, and you really have a hard time with this. I don't want you just to minimize that. That's not my intent. But that you accept the challenge or to go into this journey of giving grace. Just accepting that. And then we'll see what God will be able to do. So you have to be willing to forgive. You have to be willing to give grace. And some for, for some of you, it's too much to ask to even think about it. There's something there hidden in your hearts that you feel like, I don't want to even think about it. I'm trying to forgive, but it's robbing your peace. It's robbing your joy. You know, and for some of us, grace never feels like an option to give. And for some of us, and I think all of us, we don't really enjoy not being able to give grace. And for that reason, maybe you're here today and you're being hurt very badly. And you've been thinking right now, you have no idea what I've been through. And this is for you that maybe, even if it's so painful for you to even think about it, allow the Holy Spirit to even make the, the acceptance of, I want to go into this journey of, of grace. And maybe that's you. That's my goal for today. Now, a little bit of disclaimer, because there's, we got to talk about this, you know, we need to make sure that our hurt is significant enough for forgiveness. There's some things that happen to us that is not a big deal. We shouldn't be hurt in the first place. So that's not what I'm talking about. You know, I remember, I'll give an example, when I was about 10 years old, um, I was in this soccer team and I was so excited because that was the first time that really we were participating in some kind of organ, organized game that we would go and play and they had a it was in a small gymnasium and it was full you know and I remember uh, the team that I was in it they have to find sponsors and then whatever sponsors that you end up with it was going to be your name name of your team so uh, the company that was a sponsor of my soccer team, it was a candy store. So the name of my team was Lick Lick. So, which is a way, Lick Lick in Portuguese is the same as if you say, you're just not good enough, you're a sucker, right? So, <clears throat> first day of the game, so we were in practice and we found out that the name of our team is the team was gonna be Lick Lick. So I was just kind of thinking about it. At least it was not like dum-dum or, you know. But we got lick-lick. So and then the first game that we have to play was against a, a team that was from a, a stove company. You know, oven company. And the name of the team was Fire Machine. 
So we all gather together to play, and all those 10-year-olds, they're lining up, and then we're big deal, right? So you see the, stadium, the, the lights on you, and then the announcer was like, now we're going to have the team Lick Lick playing against Fire Machine. And the whole entire gymnasium started laughing, and they're having a great time with that. You know, they thought it was funny, but none of us players thought it was very funny that our team was called Lick Lick. But we had to deal with that. So, and I remember feeling so hurt by and one of the coaches there, he was there, and he talked about that after the game because we ended up uh, losing 5 nothing. So, obviously, we really lick-lick. It was, we're not good. <laughs> but he talked about that. He was like, guys, just have fun with this. You know, it's no big deal, you know. And, and he was not trying to minimize, but in a way encouraging us that it's just a name, right? And I remember that was kind of uh, the attitude of all the players. It's like, that's true. We just started to see the humor of it, and then we just kind of move on, you know. And then the next game, and we end up getting second place on a huge tournament. So we did pretty well. We kind of lick lick in the first game, though. But we did fine eventually. <clears throat> but my point in this is that sometimes uh, our hurts are very insignificant, and it's something that has nothing to do with people being mean or anything like that, and that's on us. We have to deal with that, and that's not what we're going to spend a lot of time talking about. So I want to make sure that we have this disclaimer. So this story that I'm going to read it to you, remember I told you last week, it was, there's so many stories that convey grace. It's not necessarily talking about the word grace, but there is conveying in a, store, in a story that there is a lot of grace. And you see over and over stories in the Bible where Jesus used illustrations or himself, he acted very gracefully towards people, towards sinners. And you see the word grace conveying on the story. So he has a different one. This is in Matthew 18. And if you know my, Matthew 18, it's a very well-known uh, passage because it talks about discipline when it comes to forgiveness. And if you read the whole entire chapter, you're going to see that Jesus is talking about when someone offends you, how to act in forgiveness, how to show grace to people when they sin against you and the proper way to do it. If someone sin against you, instead of gossiping about it, you go to the person and talk to the person. And then if the person doesn't hear you out, then you bring it to somebody else, leadership on the church, and it's kind of how it goes. So Jesus is talking about that same idea in Matthew 18. And we learn in this parable that grace is a two-way street. And Jesus started to explain to the disciples that in order for you to receive grace, you also have to give grace. And here's what's interesting about it. Because Peter is sitting down, and if you remember about Peter, he's the type of guy that say things. You know, he doesn't hold back. He just kind of say stupid stuff. Sometimes it's good stuff, but he's extremely like doesn't care he just you know talks and then he was probably not only the, the only one that was feeling this way but he was the only one that had the courage to say this and here's what he says he presents this math equation and I talked to you guys in the first service I mean the first uh, last week we're talking about the equation of grace is greater than whatever you can fill the blank so he come out with this equation to Jesus to resolve, right? To be resolved by Jesus. And here's what he says, Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times, how many times shall, shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? 
up to seven times? Again, Peter wants to know the formula of forgiveness. It's kind of the same idea that maybe he's thinking, hey, here's what's going to happen. He probably has someone in mind as he's talking about, maybe someone in his family, someone that's been hurting him a lot, and he's tired of it. Maybe uh, it's hurt number six, and then he's like, how many times? Seven times? Because I'm tired of this, because if, he's, if you say seven times, on the eighth time, I'm just going to Chuck Norris on this guy. Whatever, whoever it is. <laughs> Done with this. And he presents this equation. And here's the equation. Grace, Peter's asking Jesus, is grace greater than an offense that has repeated over and over? Is grace greater than an offense that's happening over and over and over and over? That's his point. And he presents this problem to Jesus to resolve. And I love this. I love because he, he's thinking about that because Here's the human aspect of, of grace and giving forgiveness and forgiving people. We always want to know the formula, and I get it what Peter is trying to get. We are that way. We're very formula. We like to measure things. You know, if, you talk to you, if I talk to you about health habits, you like to have formulas, right? 30 days to get six ab, you know, six pack. It's like a, a formula to how to get in shape. We don't like to say, like, you got to stop eating this or that. We just like, give me the formula. 15 ways to get healthy. 10 ways to be a good leader. You know, those are the things. And it's very attractive to us because he puts a number. And here's very interesting about that. You know, we like measurable formulas, ways that we can measure uh, success. We're that way. And Peter has that in mind. He's like, it wouldn't be nice that's basically what he's saying. If we have an, an app in our phones that when we forgive tons uh, tons of times, like maybe six, seven times, and then all of a sudden our phone just rings. I was like, hey, that's it. That guy's done. Right? So that's kind of the idea. So you all know this, but there is a, app, a, a machine called Fitbit, right? So many of you guys have the Fitbit, Okay. So back in the day, before Fitbit existed, there is a, another one that I was part, I was part of uh, the, the uh, testing of this machine. And it was by Nike. It was called Nike Fuel. And it measured how many fuels you got a day. So, and then Fitbit got this idea. They're like, hey, you know what? People like to measure things. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to come up with something. And then inside of the Fitbit has a thing. I'm going to go all nerd on you. It's called accelerometer. An accelerometer, it measures movement. So when you're doing this, it measures your movement. So it gets into steps. So the way they figure out is like, this thing is amazing, by the way. It tracks how you're sleeping. It tracks how many uh, steps you have a day. You know, there's a lot of ways that's measuring. It's great. You know, they measure and they collect all that data and send it to a big computer to the government. So that's what I think it does. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. So, but they figure out the way to measure fitness is through steps. Now, think about it. That's really cool, right? Because it comes up with the number. But if you do a little bit of research, it's not going to measure your health habits. It measures how many steps. Here's what you can do. Because it has the accelerometer that measures movements, you can be like in your kitchen, 
walking around doing this, right? In one hand, a whole entire pie. And then you break in two, and you're doing this. And it's measuring steps. But it's not measuring really your, your habits, your health habits, because you have a whole pie. So it tells you that you had so many steps, but it doesn't tell you how much pie you put in your hole, right? In your mouth. You know what I mean? And other ways, too. So you can be, the way they found out is that you can have a 20-pound dumbbell in your hand or a 30-pound, and doing this, it's not measuring your strength that you put in there. So if you do have a, a bag of chips and you're doing the same movement, right? Your exercise, it's counting. And the end of the day, it's like, man, 10,000 steps? Woo, you're a beast. But it's not telling your habits. So in a way, it's flawed in a way. So all of everybody's going to throw me rocks that has Fitbit. But anyways, the idea is it measures certain things but it does not measure health habits. It's the same way what Jesus is going to tell Peter is exactly that. There's no formula. It's about the attitude of the heart. You have to be willing to do this from your heart. Because he's saying, is that good enough? Is seven good enough? In fact, he's been kind of clever because a lot of the teachers of the time, they would taught that you're supposed to forgive someone up to three times. So Peter wants a golden star by saying, Hey, Jesus, so how many times should I forgive someone before I go like, yeah, seven times? And then Jesus is probably like, Whoa, Peter, you're awesome. Man, you're just so great. But it's not the case at all. Not the case at all. But I guarantee you, I, I think about this a lot, that Peter has someone in mind, someone that probably deeply hurt him. And maybe the, Peter's question is the same that we have. How far is too far? How far is too far? How much is too much when people are hurting us? Now, there's ways that we can go about it. I'm not saying if you're in a relationship that's been hurtful, we have to figure that out. But if someone in your past that did something against you, we have to figure that out. And I don't want to be simplistic, but we have to figure that out. And here's what Jesus answered. And I love this, and this is for us. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, let's get a pause here. He's not literally saying to us that we have to forgive 490 times. We poor Peter, he's like 450. Huh, you know, that is not what he's saying at all. But the point that Jesus is trying to make that grace is always greater. And he uses this astronomic number to tell Peter that it doesn't matter what people has done to you. Grace is always greater. It's not about a formula. It's not about how many times. It's about the heart. Now, maybe you're here willing to accept that in your head. You know it's true. This is not the first time you're hearing that you're supposed to forgive, to give grace. And you know that. But it's so hard for us to do that from heart. Because emotionally, it's so, accept for us, so hard for us to accept that someone hurt us 
and you, and you feel like grace just runs out. It's not even an option. Jesus understands that. He understands it's really hard for us, and he gives this amazing parable to show how grace is greater than our hearts. Here's what says, verse 23 of chapter 18. And then he, after he talks to Peter and says, Peter, it's not about a number. And he starts off this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now I'll stop right here. Remind you that in the beginning of the passage, he's saying, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. So every time when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven is like, it's what's supposed to be. If you're a Christian, he's not talking about non-believers. In fact, if you're a non-believer, this is for you too, but maybe you should go back next, from last week. But this is for Christians. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like. He's talking about those who made a decision to follow Christ. Those were true Christians. Those who decided in their hearts that they, were, they would like to live their lives of sin and surrender to God and they would like to live a life for Christ. That's what he's talking about. And then he gave this parable about this, uh, like kind of like a CEO that he has the books and he's keeping track of who owns what. Right? So that's the type of guy. He has like all the accounts and then there's some people that own some money and then some not so much and then here's what he says as he began this as he began the settlement so he's sitting there maybe in a desk waiting for people to come and settle the accounts as he began to settle the the settlement a man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him 10,000 10,000 bags of gold so I did a little bit of research. That's equivalent to about $150 million. Now, you might be thinking, why Jesus would use this astronomic example? I mean, what kind of servant is borrowing $150 million and own $150 million? Nobody, right? I always, when I read that, I was like, how, what is he trying to buy? What is he is trying to buy? But anyways... You might be like even reading the story and it would be a laughable story in a way because he used this exaggeration talking about the servant borrowing so much money. But it's there for a reason. Because at one point, Jesus is going to make a comparison with that amount. And in verse 25, he says this. Since he was not able to pay, right, of course, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, you might think that is harsh, but it was normal at the time when someone has a, such a debt, you know, he himself and his family will become a slave for life. That was not very uncommon. And maybe this guy, he was making, he's doing the books, right? He's looking into and say, wow, this guy owed me $150 million dollars. There's absolutely no way he can pay this. But I was just going to take your family and yourself and cut my loss and then close the book. That was his idea. And right here, we need to pause. Because this idea that he's using this astronomic number is to talk to us about our condition, our sin. Because that astronomic, laughable amount that someone is in debt 
It's our debt. It's our debt. We talked extensively that, about that last week. It's whatever you've done, your simple condition. And often what, it, what it happens is we live in this kind of denial, right? We feel like, okay, we don't own anything because we compare our lifestyle with other lives. Maybe, oh, I don't own that much money. But in reality, because our sinful condition, we own a lot. We own our lives. That's the punishment that Jesus took upon the cross to pay that debt. So right in the beginning of the story, we see this astronomic number to talk about our condition to sin. You know, and oftentimes we, we, we just don't want to think about it. We think other people are more sinful than we are, and then we just don't worry about it. And we have no idea that we're living a life of denial about our condition. You know, I was in a friend's house a few months ago, and they had a cat. You know, I kind of have a concept of how cats are, but I never had one, so I didn't know they were that way. And so I was in their house, and I opened their gate, and then the cat just, just went. And he was very friendly, you know, how cats are, very friendly. And, you know, he wanted to cuddle a little bit, and all of a sudden he just decided to take off. You know, door was escaped through the gate. And then uh, our friend Karen, she was by the gate, and uh, the name of the cat is Winston. And, and then the cat just jumped off the fence, and then she was like, Winston! Winston! This cat who was giving so much attention when she was patting and giving snacks. Winston! And then this cat was doing, I'm not joking, this is how he was. Winston! Right, with the tail up. You know what I'm talking about? And she's yelling on top of her lungs, Winston! And the cat just... And then I was like, what a stupid cat. I mean, sinful cat. You know, I just started going in my head. And then I started realizing, like, this cat is very disobedient. You know, I was kind of judging the cat. And then as I was thinking about my own life, I was like, how many times we choose sin, right? Jezzer! Right? You get the idea. But we live in this kind of denial, and I think the idea of grace, we have to understand. This illustration is talking about our condition to sin. It's talking about that you and me, we have a huge debt. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Our debt is huge, and Christ had paid it all. So verse 26, coming back to the passage. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Right? He realized he can't do it. can't pay it. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, you might be asking, can he pay everything, $150 million? No, he cannot. He won't be able to do it. And Jesus purposely used this astronomic debt of someone who thinks can pay the debt. And I love this. It's saying, $100 million, $150 million, it's an incredible amount of grace. And here's the thing. He doesn't lower the payments. He might feel like, hmm, he still owns me. Lower, Going to lower the payments. Maybe doing like in a billion times. But he canceled it all. This incredible amount of grace. And here's the interesting thing. The story takes this crazy twist. 
Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owned him a hundred silver coins, about 20 bucks, 20 bucks. He grabbed him and begged him uh, and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Now, think about this. This guy's a jerk, right? A hundred and fifty million dollars. He just, the Bible says he just got forgiven. A hundred and fifty million dollars. And then one of his guys owned him 20 bucks. And he's choking the guy. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Verse 29, his fellow servants fell to his knees and begged him. Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. Jesus uses exactly the same sentence of the guy who just got forgiven 150 million. He just asked, please forgive me. I know I have this debt. Give me grace. And Jesus, and then the, 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 the master gave him grace. And now we have this guy who owns 20 bucks and he's not willing to forgive. That's exact quote a few verses ago. Now, if you haven't heard that story, you think, of course he's going to forgive. You seriously, $150 million compared to $20? But that's not the purpose of this parable. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the men throw into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw that, that happen, they were outraged. Other versions would say they were really mad. But if you do a research, this outrage, it's a righteous outrage. It's not a sinful outrage. And you see many times that Jesus will do that through the Bible when it's outrage, but it's a righteous outrage. And went and told their master everything that had happened. So in those times, they live in this community, so they knew everything that was happening, and they knew that the master was a very, very graceful man. And all of them had to receive a lot of amount, a huge amount of grace. He was not the only one. But when they saw that someone who had received so much grace, it was refusing to give grace, they are outraged. They are outraged. Because they couldn't believe that someone's not willing to give grace once he receives so much grace. 150 million. One of the things about this is, I want to point out, is the righteous outrage. And there will be few times in church that you have the righteous outrage. It's when one of us, or some of us, receives so much grace when God had forgiven our sins, where we're not willing to give grace to others, and we become judgmental, because maybe the sin of someone else that they're struggling is different than ours. Their struggle with something is not the same, so therefore, we like to be judgmental. We're harsh. But in this passage, Jesus specifically put in a parable something about that we cannot miss it is that the church, he's giving this example that in the church, we should be graceful towards sinners. 
And there is a righteous outrage for those who are not willing. For righteous outrage for those in the church that seeing that happening. That those who receive grace are not willing to give grace. And we do this very often. This is what I said in the last week and I'll say again. When we miss grace in the church. Where we are left with religion. And that's very dangerous. We become judgmental. We become looking at two agendas. What's good for me, therefore I'm going to expect others to do the same. But we should be graceful towards sin. Obviously, we should call out those who are living in sin in our congregation in a graceful way, in a loving way, because we love them, but not in a judgmental way. Church should be a place where grace should be displayed all the time. You know why? Because we have been shown a huge amount of grace. Huge amount of grace. He paid huge price on the cross for our sins. We shouldn't be denying grace. Verse 32 then the master called the servant, you wicked servant. You think I've been harsh? This is how Jesus referred in the story of the one who did not show grace. You wicked servant, he said. I cancel all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your foul servants just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to, the, to be tortured until he should pay back all what he owned. Those are harsh words. Now, sometimes in parables you see Jesus kind of lives a little bit hanging, right? It's a little bit vague. You know, and then you look at this story and you say, yeah, he deserved the punishment. Jerk. We think that. He deserved that punishment. But in this story, I, as I'm reading, I'm like, yeah, I wish he was just finished with that because it has nothing to do with me. But then there is verse 35, which is really hard for me. This is how he looks towards the disciples as he's finished, he finished the parable. He looks at Peter and the other disciples and he finished with verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat you who treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart, not from your head, from your heart. Now, I don't know about you, but this is hard. It's really hard. So are you saying that all that, those people that hurt me at one point in my life, I should forgive? I'm not saying anything. I just read it to you. And it's from the heart. From the heart. Jesus is the one paying the debt on the cross. And he's not requiring anything more than what's been given to us. He's never asking more than we already received. In fact, we have an equation, and this is the answer uh, of Matt, um, Peter's question at the beginning. Do you remember that? So is grace bigger than offense times seven? And then Jesus gave it a different equation, which is 150 million 
is greater than 20. You've been forgiven a lot compared to anything, and you can fill the blank. And again, I'm not trying to minimize your pain, your hurt, but in comparison to grace that's been given to you, it's 20 bucks. It's about perspective. Now, grace does not mean that you're going to stop feeling pain. That's not what it means. It means that you're willing to choose, you're willing to choose this journey of showing grace to those that have been hurting you. Again, it's never going to ask, Jesus is never going to ask more than it's been given to you. And that's my challenge to you today that as you're thinking, as you have that person, that face in your mind, that you're willing to get into this journey of showing grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing, sizable debt that you paid on a cross for our sins. You did not hesitate in paying this huge debt You were willing to let us go free from all sin. In the same way, we've been challenged on this idea of grace that we're supposed to be giving grace as well. And I pray for each one of us that been hurt at one point in our lives, and it's not about how many times, but it's about, sometimes it's about how deep that wound is. And I'm praying in the name of Jesus that you help us to accept this journey that might be painful, it might be hurtful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.